Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you buzzing after a full set of midweek Premier League fixtures to digest, and I've got three stars to help me do just that. Michael Bridges, welcome. Welcome back. How are you? Great to be back on the um, Gagan pod again, mate. Fantastic. We've got Luke Wilkshire here. Now, normally, in the Optusport HQ, we've got social media, highlights, mini-matches going. Today, we had a former soccer in the trenches with us, working for hours. How are you holding up after the, the early start here? All good, mate. All good. There's worst thing to be doing in the morning, eh? 100%. How many games were we watching at once? Was it six we had on the yeah, screen? Six at a time. Fantastic. All over Optus Sport. Now, Paul Ocon, we had to get you on this week because the last time you were on the show, you launched an impassioned defence of Maurizio Sarri. And at 8 o'clock the next morning, you were texting me when they were 4-0 down against Bournemouth going, what have I done? Well, you're back now because he's back in the good books. How are you? Good to see Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm back here to defend him once again. Very good. Great big, Mauricio Sarri. A big morning in the Premier League. So it was a Chelsea 2, Tottenham 0, Liverpool 5, Watford 0, Manchester City 1, West Ham 0, Arsenal 5, Watford 1, Crystal Palace 1, Manchester United 3, and Southampton 2, Fulham 0. Bridgie, what caught your eye this morning from across the action? The performance from Liverpool against Watford, that was uh, nothing short of sensational. Watford in very good form, Liverpool having to get a result and doing it in so much style at home and, you know, really putting the, throwing the goal back out there to Manchester City who struggled to get that 1-0 result. So that, that was the, the big shining light for me this morning. Paul? Yeah, look, uh, um, apart from obviously Liverpool winning by, uh, you know, so many goals, uh, I'd have to say Chelsea. Um, you know, they've had a, a difficult time of late and, and yeah, obviously the, the Kepper incident, uh, you know, is a, yeah, was a big uh, talking point and it was interesting to see uh, what Sadi would do in terms of uh, selecting him or, or not selecting him. Um, I'm just happy that, uh, that they got a win. A um, bit, bit sad that it's against Tottenham because I'm a big fan of you know what Pochettino's doing. But uh, for Sari, uh, he'll be uh, breathing a, a big sigh of relief that they uh, got three points. Breathing a big sigh of relief and a lot of tobacco as well, I imagine. <laughs> Luke, what about you? Yeah, look, I think uh, Manchester City, although they only won 1-0, I think uh, yeah, it could have been 6 or 7. They completely dominated the game. But credit to West Ham. They went there with a, with a good game plan. Uh, very defensive. I mean, at times they had sort of eight, nine plays in the box, defending crosses and made it very difficult for Man City. But they deservedly got their win. And obviously Liverpool, the early goal, Mane scoring, getting back on the score sheet was very important for them. And I'm sure they'll take a lot of confidence from that. We'll touch quickly on Liverpool to start with then. And what a time to get your biggest win of the season when there's all these doubts about their momentum, their depth, their energy, their temperament, all these types of things. Sadio Mane gets the nod of centrally, Bridgie, with uh, Divo Corrigi coming in on, on on one of the flanks, and it just worked brilliantly. It certainly did, and Firmino has been really out of form, so it was a big decision by Klopp, and one that really paid off with Origi coming in. And I looked at Liverpool's performance this morning, as opposed to Tottenham Hotspurs, and it was a team of Liverpool that looked full of life, full of energy, a desire to win, and a knowledge and understanding of how to score a goal in the final third. And I looked at Tottenham Hotspurs' performance 
And it was lacklustre, the confidence was down, the players looked underdone. And what you get with that, when players are underdone, you get fatigue, you get mistakes. Uh, it happens in training as, um, and in games, the later the games go on. And they just looked in total disarray. So Liverpool, what they did this morning with Marnie, uh, and like you say, in that, in that role, getting back on form was absolutely brilliant. And the timing was needed. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, mate. And I think... You look at Tottenham against Chelsea and you'd, you'd expect Tottenham to come and, and have a good crack at Chelsea given that they just played uh, in the cup final a few days ago. And, and I think it was lacklustre. But in saying that, credit to Chelsea. They've, they've come back after a disappointing cup final, obviously losing after extra time and penalties to, to put in a performance and, uh, and a just-deserved victory, I think. It's, um, there were some standout performances. The addition of Trent Alexander-Arnold, I thought, was his return from injury was exceptional. He gave them a lot of thrust down the flank. But there was a Pivotal moment early on that almost sent the tone. James Milner came out flying 100 miles an hour for Liverpool, pressed the goalkeeper, and from there you thought, wow, this Liverpool team's got their energy back again. Klopp said something before this game. He said, no plant grows as quickly as expectations here. This was just the perfect way to silence that growing question that Liverpool can't cope with this title race. Yeah, well, look, uh, you know, they're in a situation where it's in their hands and of late um, performances haven't been at the, at the level that they've shown uh, throughout the season and obviously, uh, you know, a few disappointing results. But let's be honest, boys, it's Liverpool playing at home against Watford. Um, they're expected to win and, and they should win. By, 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 by five goals? Uh, well, yeah, let's congratulate Klopp on, on putting Mane as, as the nine, but... Come on, boys. They're expected to beat Watford at home. They're expected to beat Watford at home under the Watford of the past. Not this team that's sitting in seventh place. And for me, I mean, Klopp said they've been in a top four form in a, in a team. So I, I think the, the manner in which they did it was, was great. But I didn't, I didn't expect it to be so easy for them. I really thought Watford would push them and get a, get a draw out with this game. It was the p- perfect team to have at that point. I'll just throw in a quick stat. That's 25 goals in the last seven games against Watford uh, for Liverpool. So perfect team to meet at this point in time. Should we look into, uh, into why Jordan Henson didn't start the game? Oh, I think that's self-explanatory from the um, handshake. Do you, do you read into that? Do you think there's something in there? Almost uh, Kepa-esque? Uh, probably not as bad, but I certainly think that that's Klopp. Uh, sending a little message there. Um, That's the difference between them two managers. Klopp straight away, when Henderson didn't shake his hand against Man United, he went and got his hand and said, mate, you do that. That gets instant respect and instant authority. What Sorry did for Chelsea, I believe, in the in the cup final, that was, that was a joke and the players knew they had the upper hand there. So, I credit Klopp for everything that he's done because that's the performance you get. Definitely. As a as a manager, you need to, you need to stamp your authority and you, you've got to make that very clear and I think not only to your players, but uh, you know the club, the squad in general, and the public, because people start to question, and you get that that sort of criticism and speculation that's unnecessary. You know, if you hit it on the head like Klopp has done, that's it; it's done and dusted. The players know, and they're very clear and straightforward. Because we had an incident like this um, at Leeds United with uh, Mark Viduka when Peter Reid took the job, and they had a disagreement in the third day into Peter Reid's managerial career when him and Mark Viduka had a big fallout in front of the players and basically there was a big slagging match went on. There was almost fisticuffs came came to blow between the two of them and all the players recognised this and they really didn't stamp his authority on Viduka. He let him get away with it and straight away Peter Reid lost the dressing room respect there and then after day three. That's a great 
little anecdote, and it was in a, you just love when things happen at the same time. You had Kepa blowing up on the same day that Henderson got a dressing down from Klopp in front of everybody. Now, speaking of that, it segues magnificently, gents, into this uh, comment I'm going to play from you for Mauricio Sarri before today's game when he explained picking Willy Caballero ahead of Kepa. It's a message for my group. And what does that message translate to in the, in the dressing room? That we are a group and not 25 players. That's a big punishment for what was a so-called misunderstanding. That shows that there's, there is a little bit more there than Chelsea's PR department tried to uh, convince that there was. 100% for me. I mean, look, he's, he's, he's made his statement now. Um, I think it's a little bit too late. I think if you look back on the cup final with Kepa, I think as a, a strong and firm manager, you need to stand on that sideline instead of waving your arms up and down and walking off. You need to stand on that sideline and make sure he walks off that pitch. And I think, um, yeah, the player power, you know, got the better of it. But I think, yeah, obviously he's made his statement now. But um, I think it's a little bit too late. Paul, you're a, you're a big Mauricio Sarri fan, but in that moment you must have been cringing because he had a chance. He had a chance to sit there and actually do it diplomatically, or at least create that facade that okay, there was that miscommunication. There's no way back when you can see the temper tantrum and the strop he had on the sideline. And even though he's now that he has stood him down, it's very clear that that was. But how key is this? this statement that he's made today? I think it's very, very important. And I think it's one that uh, we all, uh, let's be honest, um, certainly as ex-players, we we were expecting this to happen. Um, I think the interesting thing will be now, uh, the fact that they had a very good performance, Mm. clean sheet. What does Sadi do? Does he stick with Caballero or does he bring Kepa back in? Survey? Has to. Has to keep Caballero in. Caballero all day long. Clean sheet, great performance, and you drop him, you're straight back to square one. He's got to keep him in there. Mm. And, just pr- and to be fair, Caballero was really complimentary of Kepa after the game. When he was interviewed, he did say, you know, I've taken his position, but he did come up and wish me all the best. And this young man has learned his lesson. Well, I think he's going to have to learn his lesson for the next three or four weeks if Caballero and um, Chelsea keep clean sheets. Yeah, world's most expensive goalkeeper or not. But, Paul, just another one on Sarri, who we know that he wants to implement this style. But is it a, a turn in the right direction for him or is it a compromise that he did manage that nil all. You know, that's a six-goal swing against City. He, he, he compromised his principles but put out a very disciplined performance that clearly the players uh, applied what he wanted them to do tactically. Is that a win for him or is the fact that he had to compromise uh, a, a, a blow? Which way do you read that? Has he bought himself some more time? Yeah, it probably has. I just Again, I just struggle to, uh, to understand why um, there is this negativity around, first of all, the the way Chelsea's playing and, and obviously the results. And, and you only have to have a look at uh, the start of the season, uh, how well they were going. There was always going to be, uh, in any uh, um, uh, competition for, for a club like uh, Chelsea, that you're going to have uh, games or, or, or a period of time where performances and results do drop. But I, I really think that if Chelsea do stick with uh, Sadi and allow him to, to buy the players uh, that fit the way he wants to play... Um, I think it's uh, it's certainly going to be a positive step for Chelsea. Bridget, just on the uh, on Tottenham today, the vanquished opponent. We know you're always uh, cheering for them loud and clear, but uh, vulnerability is there in the top four race, or are we are we taking two defeats far too seriously, or is there more there? No, there's more to it. And I, I called the Chelsea result this morning. I was very nervous, and not like I would ever go against a Tottenham result. I, I thought Chelsea would get it 2-1. I wasn't confident. I thought they would bounce back. And it's just the the performances Spurs have been putting in, everything that's been happening with the players that have gone to the World Cup, they've just, they have just look so underdone and so out of sorts um, in the Premier League. Burnley bullied them. 
Chelsea have got a, a team together today that looks spirited and put a performance on. And like I say, no shots on target for Tottenham Hotspur. That, that, that for me is pretty embarrassing. Now they've got the London derby coming against Arsenal League. I think they can... The, the fourth spot is under pressure. Now, I, I can see Tottenham slipping out the top four in the Champions League spot. And the only hope for me this season, and which is a, a real reality check, is Champions League. Mate, you're saying that about Tottenham, but Trippier got on the score sheet. <laughs> oh, you horrible man. <laughs> Did anyone see the tweet? Doing the, people are, people are I, I, on social media, they're amazing. It's, it's, it's creepy. A 2014 tweet saying, uh, come on Chelsea, or, or something like that, that he tweeted. Someone's dug up today and said, you finally got your first goal for Chelsea. It's always going to come back and haunt you. And I'm just worried about the, um, I did say live on the Optus Sport Champions League to Richard Bayless. That Tottenham are safe after the 3-0 win against Dortmund. I said Tottenham are going through after the last two performances. I'm panicking a little bit here, by the way. How big is the next week? You've talked about the game on Saturday night against Arsenal, then Dortmund, both on Optus Sport. It's almost... It might not be season-defining, but it can swing the whole season. I think this next week is season, yeah. All, all day long. If the, the Arsenal result doesn't go in Tottenham's favour and Dortmund put the pressure on, because they're going to come out and play. There's no doubt about they're going to put them Tottenham under pressure. And if they're going at that game with three defeats in the belt, I'll tell you what, it, it's game on. And what, I'm going to probably eat my words. What is the biggest weakness right now? Is it is it a, a fragility across the park? Our producer, Paul Paul Meltz, noted this morning while we are watching that uh, he doesn't think Harry Kane and Son can play together. So I've just thrown him under the bus, but it was a great point he made. Um, I hadn't necessarily thought about that, but the fact is Son did flourish when he was played on his own a bit further up. Um, is that something to stew over or is that a or is that a first world problem? Yeah. Is that a good problem to have? Melty, aka Screech, has made a very, very good point because Tottenham played in the front two today with Harry Kane and Son. They make similar runs. When Son's played as the striker alone, he's, he looks fantastic. When Harry Kane plays as the striker on his own, he looks fantastic with Ericsson in behind. I do like it when Harry Kane's up there and they play more of Song on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. and it, Again, today, it just proved that it doesn't work with the two of them. So it's a very, very valid point. They score more goals when they aren't playing alongside each other in a front-two system. When when Son's out wide providing the goods or he's up front on his own, it, it works. Interesting point. I'm very curious to watch that going forward. Would you rather... While we're talking title race, I'm throwing a would you rather in a bit earlier at the moment. And uh, you can come at it from a neutral or from whether you're in one of these teams. What is more important in the title race, or would you rather have in the title race? A fit Fernandinho, who along with Amerik Laporte is out for at least four weeks, maybe five, or an inform Mohamed Salah? Okay, I think for, for Liverpool, an inform Mohamed Salah coming into it. I mean, Mane's come back and got on the score sheet and scoring goals, but they need him firing. Yeah, I have to agree. I think uh, Salah is more important for Liverpool than... Yeah, I understand that Fernandinho's you know, a great player, but I just think Man City have a little bit more depth in that position. They can play Gundogan in there. Even, I think, Kevin De Bruyne can play that position. Um, so I would say Salah is probably the more important. They did try Stones in there as well early on this season. That failed miserably when they got beat. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Salah. Salah is so invaluable. What about if we traded Salah for Firmino, or has his season been off enough that, that he is probably, we saw today, slightly replaceable? Yeah, I think... <laughs> Everyone's replaceable. They've seen today without Firmino, they've managed to score five goals. So, so they've shown that they can, they can go on and perform without him and, and create. I mean, like I say, they're the most goals they've scored in a game this year, uh, and that's without Firmino. I'm actually really interested in Laporte. One, he's got the most passes for City. Again, I think it's a luxury problem we're talking about, but in their speed of play and speed of thought, I think he's quite a key player in that department, getting the ball out from the back and starting their position. So, 
They're missing him from month two. Interesting how they adapt with that. Did anyone have an issue with the penalty shout this morning against uh, West Ham? It was very, very dubious, I think. Look, Manchester City were, were worthy of the win, that's for sure. Um, I think some of the, the play, the build-up play, the combination play, it's, it's phenomenal. They're fantastic to watch. And like I say, we talk about depth, and they do have depth, and I don't think those players will be missed. What about Sterling when he came on? I thought he was absolutely magnificent in the 53rd minute. He, he changed the whole game for them. He, uh, look, I, th- I think the praise on Sterling at the moment is magnificent. And as you're looking at me, Paul, now you can't believe you've heard what yeah, Bridges he was, has said. He was criticising him throughout the whole World Cup. Raheem, Raheem, can't yeah. score, can't during, shoot. During the World Cup, he was crap. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good change in tone over Sterling in England at the moment, and I think he's starting to get the praise his talent deserves. On the weekend, we got, as we said, it starts with Spurs and Arsenal at 11.30 on Saturday night, and it ends with a Merseyside derby, well, it doesn't end with a Merseyside derby, but 3.15 uh, Monday morning Eastern time in Australia. Oh. How big is that? Before we move on, though, in terms of uh, would you rather and importance, we saw Virgil van Dijk step up today with a, a brace of goals, just taking the you-know-what uh, it, it, with the, some set-piece goals with delivery from both flank. Talk about Fernandinho, talk about Salah. Did we leave out the player that can probably be the make-or-break in the title race? Is it van Dijk? Yeah, well, people have spoken about him. He's, he's probably been one of the best all season. And I think... Um he is crucial. If you talk about Liverpool needing Salah to be on form, I think Van Dijk, they're needing him fit and playing the rest of the season to have a chance. Yeah, fair shout, fair shout. Gentlemen, it's time to... Oh, Bridgie, you're showing off your fantasy stats. What have you, who have you had? Read it. I can't, I can't see that. Van Dijk, two goals. Mane, two goals. Vardy, one goal. Aguero, one goal. And Vardy should have got a red card. Disgusting challenge. Moving on. Fill your boots. Fill your boots. Gents, it's time to finish this sentence because there is much more to talk about in the world of football at the moment. Rightio, then give us an answer. All right. Brendan Rodgers, back in the Premier League, is... Not a surprise. This is something he coveted, isn't it? Yeah, look, uh, he has said that he's um, a big Celtic fan and uh, when he was appointed, uh, he couldn't uh, speak glowing enough of... uh, of the club, but I just think that uh, when you compare the EPL with the Scottish Premier League, um, it was it would have been an easy decision for him, given an opportunity to uh, to return back to uh, the EPL. I could rephrase that as Brendan Rodgers walking from a triple treble from Celtic is Bridgie. They're a bit. It's a pretty damning indictment on on the Scottish Premier League that he is walking out at this point to go to a team that really at best can probably at the moment hope for a 7th or 8th place in the Premier League. Well, there was talk um, when Rafa might have left in the January window had Newcastle not spent the money. Brendan Rodgers had been talked about that Newcastle United wanted him um, and I think he'd been, not getting, I don't want to say getting touted around, but there's definitely been some rumours grumbling for a while that Rodgers has wanted to move back to the Premier League and if you think about the Newcastle, his name was mentioned with them, then Leicester comes up, there was only... One place he was he was going to go, and it's it's hard for the Celtic fans. But he's been there, he's done it, he's done it numerous years, and he's earned the right to get back in the Premier League. It's an interesting project for him because it's a team with actually a fair bit of talent on paper. That's sort of in a rudderless position at the moment under Claude Puel, looking to actually play some decent football, give the fans some joy. A team that's really under no pressure. They're probably not going to get relegated. They're not under the. Exp- expectation to make the top six but I did hear a Leicester fan a Celtic fan today go oh, yeah lifelong Celtic fan I think he's a lifelong Brendan Rodgers fan and I think he's definitely going back to the Premier League to complete that uh, reputation re- repair of his reputation since he got sacked from Liverpool well the fan is a very smart man because allegedly Brendan Rodgers has a few um, 
paintings and portraits of himself around his house. So, yeah, I think it's all about Brendan. They say he has a messiah complex. and uh, He's taken Colo Tour over with him to be one of his coaching staff. And Neil Lennon is back to Celtic, where he'll be looking to take it full-time and guide them to this historic 10 in a row that they're going for in the league. Barcelona right now, without Lionel Messi, are average, as someone quite well told me. Uh, look, Barcelona, they need Messi, and without Messi, they um, they struggle. They're, you know, he's, he's shown over the years just how, how important he is for them, and, you know, you see his hat-trick on the weekend, well, he's 50 hat-tricks now uh, in his career. He's, he's something phenomenal, and that's not some, that's someone you can't replace overnight. Um like I so say, you take him out of there, and I think if you look at Real Madrid losing Ronaldo, if you were to take Messi out of Barcelona, you would see them struggle too. Yeah, I think Luke's spot on there. Um, he hasn't missed anything. Uh, in those important games, uh, um, for, any, for example, a Champions League final, it can be so tight to very, very equal great footballing teams, and you need that one player who's going to be able to do something uh, on his own, and uh, uh, Messi is that man. 20, 25 league goals, 11 assists this season, and that hat-trick against Sevilla, if you haven't seen it, you have to check it out. It's uh, You're just watching. You don't think you can come up with more superlatives or things that shock you each time you watch him, but he's literally bailing them out at the moment on their own. There's a wider discussion on where Barcelona are at, given that they're still relying maybe as heavily now on him as they ever have. But while we get the chance to feast on that, it was it was an extraordinary hat-trick. But on the other side of the El Clasico divide, and uh, there was a big win for Barca in the Copa del Rey today, um, Sergio Ramos's footballing legacy is... Oh, controversial. That's a great word. <laughs> I love it, Luke. Chimed in, brilliant. He is. Yeah, controversial. Falls of highs, falls of lows. And, you, you know, we're talking about the last, the last game pod, we were talking about Leeds United's fine and how they were done through a rule that wasn't actually a rule. It was the twisted, it was what unsportsmanlike behaviour, mm-hmm. bending the rules a little bit. Ramos has bent the rules for years and got away with it, and he's been very, very clever in what he's done, but you cannot knock him for what he has achieved in football. And I remember when Jonathan Woodgate went to Real Madrid. Remember when he, he left Leeds, he went to Real Madrid, and the first person he rang me up and talked about was Ramos coming through. He said, this kid is... Brighton, and he said his nickname is The Wall, and he said, I'm going to have to be on my guard because this, this player's phenomenal, so there you go. Interesting, that was a, a while ago, and he hasn't let up since. We mentioned that, of course, because he's now facing sus- uh, suspension for the not just the Ajax return leg, but for possibly another addition since it's sort of they're now looking at whether he uh, got a deliberate yellow card. And how about the cheek that he got it as soon as Real Madrid went 2-1 up late in the game, he thought, well, I've got a few minutes here. I'm going to get a yellow card because we're through and I don't have to play. <laughs> that goes on all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, as a professional, and I think everyone knows sometimes people like to bend the rules and, and try and get an edge. That's that's how it is. And I think it's a little bit harsh. Uh, I mean, we'll wait and see what happens. But I, I think he wouldn't be the first player to have ever done that. I dare say that I maybe once or twice <laughs> done that in my career, especially to miss a ugly away game in some foreign place in Russia I don't want to name names <laughs> there was a certain player I played with at Sydney FC and then he was at the Newcastle Jets with me but if you have a look back at all the oh, games let's just join the dots now yeah, the join the dots all the games over Christmas this player managed to miss so he got the Christmas or New Year period off and I don't think he ever played in Wellington neither he was very very clever with these yellow cards I'm sure he looks at the fixture list and just went through the whole thing Bridgie I want to know what you did to get that yellow card me? <laughs> I, um, oh, sorry, Luke, I've looked no, at you look, and said Bridgie. Luke, sorry. Yeah, that's, geez, that's an insult. Come on, mate. 
third income. No, look, I um, you know, likewise, I used to time five yellow cards. I mean, I I had one year I averaged, I got fifteen yellow cards. So I had three suspensions over the course of the season, and yeah, I, I didn't want to fly to somewhere like Vladivostok, which is nine hours away and in the middle of winter. So. Yeah, every now and then I would time them or it would be on an international break, so I'll, I'll be able to have an extra few days back in Australia before I had to return. They call them tactical yellows for a reason. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Elton John, the Watford Football Club scout, is well-deserved. The money that he invests in that football club, he's a lifelong fan. I think he's got every right to be a scout. As long as he has nothing to do with any of the signings, yeah, I, I just think it's a nice, it's a nice moment because what what they've done, I don't think he's going to have any input, and if he does, it is a disgrace. But the money and the way that he supported this club through thick and thin uh, when they were in trouble, I just think it's 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 more of an honourable thing that they've done for him. Was there any time in your career or any of your careers where you saw or felt there was that interference from uh, upstairs? It was you know, the president's come down with his, you know, gun in his holster on the sideline and, and, and so on. <laughs> you want to talk about guns, yeah. Um, old story about that. When I went to Tedek Grozny, obviously one of the, the more colourful places in, in Russia. But, uh, yeah, I had a had a conversation. I'd, I'd been there. Obviously, I had my, my history and my reputation playing in, in Russia, in Dinamo Moscow. And and I was sitting there with the coach and they had a, the right back, which was a, a local boy, a Chechnyan boy who's a captain. had been playing there since, I don't know, since his childhood and... And the coach, I sat there with the coach and he literally said to me, he said, look, you know, great player, all the rest of it, blah, blah, but, you know, we don't need you. You're not going to play. Okay. I said, not a problem. I went back up to my hotel room, ready to fly out the next day back to Moscow and I get a knock at 11 o'clock in the night and uh, it's the team manager and he's told me, Lord, the president was downstairs and wanted to have a chat with me. Come down in the reception and Lord, the president's there and the coach is there still. And uh, and Lord's just said, yeah, I'm going to give you a one-year deal. We're signing you. <laughs> <laughs> the coach didn't know what was going what was on. Coach, what was the coach's face like? <laughs> yeah, of shock. He, I mean, he'd literally probably about three hours earlier sat there at the same table and told me, "No, I don't need you." So it was a, <laughs> it was a funny old one, but so be it. Any anyone had some tactics from come up come from upstairs? No. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. <laughs> I heard some phenomenal that there. Um, you know, there's been talk that. We might have to be able to try and do some rugby league sideline footage where you can lift the other players up. So I'm not sure if that was in this country or whether it was in England, but it was, you know, some of the things that people come up with that know nothing about football frightens me. Yes, I did read in the paper once that there was a, a claim to try bringing a, a netball or a rugby union lift in one of the A-League clubs, but we won't talk about that uh, today on this show. <laughs> well, set pieces are very important in the, in the modern game, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely, they are. Paolo being very diplomatic in his answers here. We'll go to you for this one now, Paul. Jose Mourinho's return to management should be at a small team, a small club. Why does uh, Mourinho uh, want to coach a team where he's going to have $300 million to spend? Let's see how good Jose is. Um, Take a smaller club and 
Show us what sort of football you can play. Show us that you can coach again. Are you talking a smaller club like Harry Kewers at in Crawley? Or are you talking a championship or lower division Premier League? I'm talking lower division Premier League. So a small budget like what, Huddersfield, Newcastle United and see what he does, yeah? Yeah, why not? Yeah. That'd be the way to prove that he's still got it, that he can actually uh, influence players and improve them again and actually coach them. But I love this quote. I want to work with people that I love, people I want to work with that I'm happy to work with. Well, he can only work for himself then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've still in the limelight there. That would be brilliant. Yeah. All right, now... We go to our, our quotes of the week, and this one came from Antoine Griezmann. He said what? He, he said he's more stressed playing video games than scoring goals for Atletico Madrid. He said, I'm stressed trying to get Victory Royale in Fortnite, I think the game is, than when I'm in the penalty area. I think Fortnite is tougher. Is it? <laughs> Bridget, have you ever been in that situation? Have you had a player who was actually, that was so talented that when they went out there, it, you know, it just came so natural that they were worried about stuff off the field instead? Dave, I completely agree with them. There was myself, Harry Kuehl, Michael Dubry and Darren Huckerby. We used to play a Nintendo, I think it was the Nintendo 64, and there was a wrestling game on there. And there was the first time the four controllers came out and we would play this on away trips from dusk till dawn. And when you got yourself in a grapple, you had to get that joystick going from left to right as quick as you could. And we actually got in a little bit of bother one night because me and Harry Kuehl had been playing this till about 3 or 4 a.m. And we were screaming in our rooms, you know, and we got a knock on the door and it was the physio. And he said, listen, he said, you boys have got to get yourself to sleep. We were playing Watford the following day at Watford. And, you know, we woke up the next morning, red eyes. We're having the team meeting, red eyes. Anyway, the game came along. We won 3-1. I scored and Harry scored. And there's a celebration that you see us and we quickly run up to each other and just do the left to right handshake as if we've got the control. And um, we just basically made a point saying it doesn't bother us because... But I did find that more stressful than playing football, to be honest with you. Were there any injuries ever from that? No, but we used to get hellish blisters on the palms of your hands. So, yeah, looking at that, what you... That sounds really That was just playing the video games, was it? Yeah, Yeah. it was, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. Right, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he said, before this game this morning, when do you uh, make the change? Question, do you wait until pre-season and think you will chain results by not asking them to run? Or do we start now and show them what the demands of intensity are and how we want to play? You've seen what I've chosen. We need to play as a Manchester United team. If you want to be part of a Manchester United, it's a survival of the fittest, isn't it? And he's talking about their huge injury toll at the moment where he admitted that the running he has forced them to do and the intensity of the training has actually probably played a, played a part of that. How difficult is that balancing at Paolo? And, and he's managed to get away with it really on the part because the results are still coming. Yeah, is he trying to show up... Uh how badly they were going under Mourinho or how badly they were training and, and playing under Mourinho. Because um, that's what it, uh, it seems like. And, you know, he probably uh, has the runs on the board at the moment to be able uh, to do that. And, and who would argue with him? Because uh, they have been uh, playing a lot better and, 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 and more obviously the results have uh, have improved dramatically. So, um, yeah, I, I can understand that uh, if you're not used to, to doing that work during the season, it's very difficult to... Uh, um, how can I say to to really improve your fitness uh, to then be able to 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 uh, execute it in games without the risk of injury, and that's exactly what's uh, what's happening for for Man United. So I just hope it doesn't um, uh, come back to, to to bite them because at this point of the season, I'm sure Bridgie will will agree is it's when you need your best players on the park injury free. Yeah, and just going back to the point Paul's made there, do you remember when Klopp came into Liverpool his first season, or ho- it was halfway through yeah. the season? And Liverpool were players were dropping like flies. They were getting so underdone because the training loads from um, Rogers to Klopp 
went up significantly, and that's where they really, really struggled. And it takes a while, and that's what that's what Solskjaer's done, and the players haven't adapted. So I'd like to see him get, from what he's put on the runs on the board, I'd like to see him get a chance next season just to see where he can take Manchester United after they've had a good pre-season under him. Well, the interesting thing is that today he brought in Romelu Lukaku, who's been playing out wide for a lot of the time under him, and he put him up front, and he excelled, and he brought in a Delot, and he even brought in Fred. I mean, if... If you're United cynic, you'd say if Fred's getting run, then you know you've really got injury troubles. He's still there, and he he finally got a Guernsey today. And the thing was, and he said this after the game, when he was asked, what's the secret to eight away wins under you since you've taken over? He said, good players, good attitude. And I think that's what he's fostered there. But the thing is, so they actually ran more under Mourinho, the stats have showed before this game, um, but they they have more higher intensity sprints under Solskjaer. Do you read anything into that in terms of the, the assumption that they weren't trying or applying themselves to the same level under Mourinho. I don't think you could say that. I think um, for sure, I think you can see the culture that Solskjaer's created, that the players want to play for him and they want to play for the club again. Um, I think, you know, obviously that load and you can run as much as you want, but if you're not running clever and at the right times, then, it, then it's wasteful running. Um, and he's obviously got that, that tactic right. He's getting the best out of the players. That, that's clear to see. He's getting the points. They're scoring goals. There, people are enjoying watching them again, um, which is something that, that wasn't happening under Mourinho. People didn't want to tune in and watch Manchester United. And to be fair, what, what what's been happening under Mourinho when they dropped off and let the opposition have the ball, and you're, you're probably covering more distance because you're going through your shape back and front. But the high intensity runs come when you've got the ball and you're in them transition moments, and that's what Manchester United are doing now. When they're getting the ball, they are breaking at speed. And they are busting a gut for this for this man. Whereas in Mourinho, it was basically just, can we drop off? Can we change shape? And it became so boring. And like the players want to attack, you want to get the ball. And he's, he's, like you say, the transformation has been miraculous. Quick, uh, quick survey. We'll be, I'm sure we'll do this a couple of times before the end of the season. But um, if we take third and fourth, who makes third and fourth for each? If, you, if we're having a look now, because Tottenham have got a little bit of breathing space still, but there's some big games ahead. Tottenham, Man U, Manchester United. Arsenal, Chelsea. Man U and Tottenham. Tottenham will just hang in there. Yeah, I agree. Man U and, uh, and Tottenham. I'm going to have to say Manchester United, the form they're in, they will finish third and Tottenham Hotspur fourth. I can't say Arsenal are going to do it because that would be um, sacrilege. They did do well this morning, actually. And actually, the... the the nice change for to- uh, Arsenal fans was Henrik Mkhitaryan's return to form. Two assists, one goal. He's actually been quite positive since his return from injury and today combined with Mesut Ozil as well. So I'm very curious to see if Unai Emery can create some momentum there, particularly with those two on the park. You you never know, and, and that'd be beautiful to watch. Oh, here's a good yarn. So back to Anton Griezmann again. He's, he's had some good stuff in social media this week. He's been one of the latest to pick his dream five-a-side side from uh, his teammates. And he's, he's included himself and he's gone with Godim. Well, it can't be teammates because he's got Beckham, Kante and Dembele alongside him. And I thought, you know what, I'd love to find out from you guys if you got to put your gaffer's hat on for fantasy football and pick your dream team from the players you have played with but I'll allow you one, Marky, because we're in Australia. The salary cap's tight, so we need to get another player in for you. You can bring anyone in from the world to complete it. Who is your dream five from your career? Yeah, look, I'm definitely not putting myself in this one anyway. <laughs> I will go I will go with uh, Juninho, Paulista, play with the Boras, Gareth Southgate, Dresden Misimovic. I would have a Marky Kante, and I'll go with Alan Boxic. 
Is it N'Golo Kante defensive midfielder or flying right wing? Yeah, <laughs> in this group of five, he's You've a defensive got midfielder. Kante on a five-a-side field. Yes. 11-a-side field, all the five-a-side. Right, you you want to win? You need someone who's going to get about and tackle and fight? You need it. You he, need it. You can't You can't just have the five best players. You need ball players. You're not, he's no, a headless you're not, chuck. You're not going to win if you've got five attacking players who aren't going to defend in a five-a-side. You miss one. You're done. By the way, you're not in my team neither. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a guy there that you um you just had to in any team you'll ever play with? He's he's your man that you're locking in that you you know just a pleasure to play with or for for other reasons. Look, if I if I'm looking at players that I play with and, and top players, I look at Alan Boxic and he come to Middlesbrough and obviously it's not the most beautiful place on earth um, by far and. You know, I saw him in training. Some days you'd see him as the most unbelievable finisher I'd seen all my career. He was, he was incredible when he wanted to. And that was the big question was when he wanted to. Um, it was phenomenal. And sometimes you just look at him and he was just unplayable. And then other times he just didn't want to turn up. You know, there were stories that doc- he called him match day and said, oh, I'm sick, can't come. So he said, oh, come in. We'll, see the- we'll send the doctor to you. He said, no, no, it's okay. And the doctor's gone around knocking on his door and he didn't answer. So who knows where he was, back in Italy or whatever. I took him back home one time from a, an away trip. I was driving him home to drop him off. And he goes to me, Luke, he goes, what do you think about Middlesbrough? I said, oh, you know, it's great. You know, people are brilliant, great club. He goes, I feel like just there is the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great judge of character. <laughs> As you were saying that story, I was thinking we've talked about players getting yellow cards, doing all sorts of these things today. What is it when a player just decides they – they're not up for it today, but I think you answered that before it ends. He just <laughs> he didn't want to yeah, be there. Look, he's, he's come to, to Middlesbrough from obviously a beautiful life and in Italy and Croatia where it's where it's all beautiful. But yeah, Middlesbrough is not the most um, yeah spiteful place to live. Carlo. My team. Gaffer hat on. Nesta, Mihailovic, Rui Costa and Batistuta. Oh. <laughs> right. Can I, can I just leave my team alone, please? I'm not following that. God, I'd pay yeah, to watch Nesta, that. Nesta, the defender, Mihailovic, the set-piece specialist, Rui Costa, the number 10, and then Batistuta as your goal scorer. Wow. Now we, no wonder you didn't pick yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have uh, Mark Schwarzer in goals, but he's got to get rid of his scarves. <laughs> <laughs> Schwarzer, if you're listening. Which one of uh, those players, or it might have been all of them, did you, when you're at training, when you're, when you're playing alongside them, was there ever a moment where you just went, oh, gee, this, is, this is just something else? Yeah, look, Batistuta, he was was incredible because he only started playing football, I think, at 14 or 15. He was a a real keen um, lover of of basketball. And, uh, you know, there were moments, even in in training and and, and above all in games, where he wouldn't really touch the ball and you wouldn't even think he was in the game. And then he would just get a long pass, control it, and then... um, he would score the most spectacular goals. It'd be a you know a half volley or a volley in, in the top corner, and uh, um, you know seeing firsthand how hard he trained on that, uh, staying back every day after training. It it, it wasn't uh, a surprise that uh, you know he he did score those goals uh, regularly in uh, in a top competition. When you've got a player like that in your team, uh, just a just a star from another galaxy, and you also see them doing it time after time at training, does it give you that sense when you walk out there that even if you're one nil down, you're two one, you've, we've still got this. We're still a chance here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the 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 worst part about it was he was he would always ask me to stay back and cross him the ball. So <laughs> I'd go home with half a leg. Uh, and half a hamstring, which uh, with my dodgy knee, I didn't need to. But it was uh, a pleasure to stay out there with him and uh, um, and uh, and see him work and, and and train so hard. 
Fantastic. Can you break that team, Bridgie? No, can you give me one more minute? I'm still trying to pick up the names that um, Paolo's just dropped on the floor there. That is unbelievable. Bridgie, um, Bridgie, did you know? We, we played together. Remember that, mate? Before we did you five. When? Yeah, we did. A few years back. Bristol, Bristol City days, mate. Yeah, you're still not in. <laughs> um, right. In goal, Shea Given. I've gone for my defender as Jonathan Woodgate. Uh, in midfield, I've got Harry Kuehl and JJ Akocha. And up front, I've gone for Robbie Keane. And I've subbed myself on the bench because I was, nice. I was an impact player. And what can you, it was there again, like I asked the others, is there one in that team that um, was just a player that you, you just in, in awe of their skills? I've gone for great players, but I've also gone for good banter. I like a team that's got a bit of a social and a, and a bit of banter behind it. And all players, Woodgate loved a, loved a laugh. Robbie Keane was absolutely loose as a goose. Harry Kuehl, um yeah, we did everything together. He was like the brother I never had. And JJ Akocha was just... It was funny, when I first went to Bolton Wanderers under Sam Allardyce, I saw this guy, JJ Kocher, and he was the most flamboyant, lovable, nicest guy you will ever ever meet. And it was funny because he would do some tricks in training. And I'll never forget the assistant manager, Phil Brown, used to pull his hair out and go, JJ, what are you doing? Why are you trying that? Would you do that in a game? Yes, Boz. <laughs> and he did. And he pulled it off. And I mean, his highlights just... I've seen him do things on the football field in 11v11 at a big stadium and gone... My God, he just did that last week, and he, he he was just phenomenal. And JJ was for me the a guy that got was a bit of an unsung hero. He, he should have gone to a bigger club. Yeah, I was going to ask either a did he not fulfil his potential, or was it the right wrong place, wrong time, or did he um uh, did it come too easy for him, and so he could have fulfilled his potential, but it was just sort of he was that kind of player. I think he was he was just happy to be playing football, and he knew he would play regular under Bolton Wanderers. But I just wish he'd moved on somewhere, and um, he would be my number ten. But I th- after witnessing the boys' teams, I'm saying that we would come second in the league because Paolo's team will win it, <laughs> <laughs> and a playoff with with, with Luke. Oh no, we'll we'll do them. I'll, <laughs> hey, come, I'll come on and win the game. I just want to ask you about. <laughs> come on and win please, the game, please. Come on, please. <laughs> um, Jonathan Woodgate. Um, everyone talks about him just being. He could have been anything. Um, when when you first saw him come on the scene as well, um, just just how good was he when when he when he first arrived? I hated playing against him at youth team level when Leeds United won the FA Youth Cup and won our leagues in the northeast. Uh, and he was Woodgate was strong. He was fast. Hardly ever lost a header, and his positional play was outstanding. Now, people are, he was better than John Terry, in my eyes. It should have been Woodgate and Rio should have been the centre-halves for England for, for a number of years because he could play football as well. And going from a team like Sunderland, uh, no disrespect, I was playing with strong defenders like Richard Ord, Lee Howie, Andy Melville. They were defenders, old-school defenders. I'd never seen a centre-half be able to play out until I went to Leeds United and I was thinking wow hang on we're building up from the back and he had a really good mentor in Lucas Radaby who took him under his wing and learnt Wood, Woody a lot so yeah just a, a phenomenal player that was struck down by injuries yeah was that all bad luck like they talk about sometimes yeah. players mismanagement yeah. whatever that was just pure bad luck so when I, when I look back Dave I look at the Leeds United team that we had and I look at the injuries I look at myself went through four years of turmoil Woodgate uh, cost him his career Harry Kuehl went through a number of years with injuries Mac Fail, Eric Backer and the, you know Seth Johnson as well there was a lot of things I'll look back on and think what could we have changed at Leeds were we f- training too physically hard at a young age were we doing something with the in the weights department I'd never lifted weights at Sunland and when I went to Leeds it was some quite intense weightlifting with a guy called Ed Baranowski who I think was at Wellington Phoenix um, over here 
many a few years back. You can check that one out. He was down there. So I don't know. When I look back, there was a lot of injuries at Leeds United from that team of players. Michael Dubry, Achilles tendons, both of them as well. So there's something that we were doing wrong back in our day that I think played a, a lot of, or a big part in our future careers. Paul, was there anything you noticed when you arrived in the setup, or was that too far gone uh, as the time's gone? Gone, gone. On by the time you arrived, when you when you went to Leeds, was there anything you noticed that that you thought well, this is a bit different to to uh, where I'd been? No, look. Uh, at that time, Leeds were were just uh, finalising their uh, their new training centre, which um, you know, Bridget will agree with me was you know certainly back then was state of the art, and 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 uh, it had everything that, that that you would want as a as a professional footballer. And uh, at, at the time, Leeds had a a very very good physio. So, um, by the name of Dame, Dave Hancock, who went on to uh, uh, to work at Chelsea and uh, and uh, all over the world. Um, he's now working with you two, traveling the world. There you go. <laughs> he's, he's looking after Bono nowadays. Yeah, he's got you know he's got to massage his fingers. <laughs> so no, I didn't I didn't see anything there that uh, um, yeah that that sort of uh, showed me or, or told me that uh, they were doing things wrong at all. Interesting stuff. Oh, we could talk for days and days and days, and I reckon uh, I reckon we might slip expand this to your eleven down the track because I want to hear the rest of these stories and and uh, some of these players you guys played with. Guys, to end off, we know that we're back in Champions League mode next week. Uh, the return legs of these games: Dortmund, Spurs, Real Madrid, Ajax, PSG, Manchester United, Porto, Roma. Uh, Bridgie, you think you've you've got a bottle of wine to hand over to Paolo but uh, can we go uh, double or nothing maybe and move it on to the Spurs game after your um prediction that it's all done and dusted if we're talking about the two legs I'll put the bottle of wine on yeah I'll, I'll put another bottle of wine up against it if it's on this game against Dortmund and a one-off I'm not betting a bottle of wine because I, I Dortmund are going to come out and I think Dortmund will, will win this and I'm just hoping it's it's not the three-goal deficit. Yeah, because they've got four. They've scored four in a game against Atletico Madrid this season. So if anyone can do that, you can do it against Spurs. Is anyone tipping against Spurs not to go through? Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Given the last last couple of games for Spurs, I think um, you know if they can get through the f- the early doors of the game, the first 20, 20 odd minutes without conceding, I think they'll hang on. But should they concede an early one, I think there could be some trouble. Real Madrid Ajax, I loved Ajax' performance in this game, but just too professional from Real Madrid. That's enough advantage enough, or can the youngsters cause a, a boil over? Yeah, look, I, I think they're certainly capable of uh, Ajax of causing a, an upset there, but I just think that uh, Real Madrid they have too much experience. They've they've been uh, at this stage uh, of the Champions League. Uh, um, so far back that I, that I can remember, um, and, and I really see Real Madrid uh, going through. Paris Saint Germain, Manchester United. This would be well if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets through this, he's got the job. Surely, can he? No, not after watching the first leg. I think Tuchel tactically had it down pat. He played two different systems with and without the ball, and we we commented and thought, is he going to come out second half Solskjaer and do something to fix this? They didn't, and I just feel that the, this game is, is done and dust of them. But if he does. And he wins this game. I would give him the job there and then. Yeah, Paul Pogba was suspended. For, is he suspended for this game? He got sent off in the PSG game first leg. So um, without the without the tellers, man, that that is tough. And Porto Roma, uh, Roma head to uh, Portugal with a goal advantage. Um, Zaniolo, we saw him score that brace off the bench. But this is still even Stevens, I reckon. Absolutely, the fact that uh, Roma allowed Porto to score in the dying moments of of that first game, I think, will. Uh uh, will in the end come back to bite them. I think Porto at home are very strong in the Champions League. Um, they are the number one side in uh, 
in in Portugal, and uh, I just think that uh, the pressure um, will be will be that great that uh, Roma won't be able to deal with it. Does their coach get through the season if they get knocked out here, Roma? Well, they have their results have picked up in in the Serie A. I think they're in fourth spot now, yeah. and, and it's paramount for them um, that they do qualify again for Champions League. Uh, but an, an exit here probably could cost him his job right now. Yeah, we're interesting. Well, Porto's loss, which with the away goal is as good as a you know as good as what they need. That was actually only their first defeat, I think, since October or November. So they're flying in Portugal in particular. We're going to see all you boys on the couch next week across uh, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, and then the Europa League on Friday morning. It is an absolute feast on Optus Sport once you get through the Premier League on the weekend. Gents, that's been an absolute uh, blast. I've enjoyed every second of it. Thanks for, thanks for popping in. Cheers, Dave. Thank you, Thanks, mate. Mate. And for everyone out there, as always, enjoy your football.